My name is Darren. I guess I don't know everybody. I'm glad you're here. Um, one of the pastors here. We're just so stoked that you're here. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 12? And while you're doing that, I want to read you a, a note from Pastor Moses from uh, Buanuka Kawalira Kabagezi something Uganda. It's basically the equivalent of Thompson Station and Spring Hill. Uh, they kind of morph together. So this is like the, the, the line. But that's, uh, this is what he says to us. Pastor uh, Darren, thank you for you and the entire conduit team that has worked hand in hand to see that they raise money for the construction of Buanuka Pentecostal Church. Here's what he's talking about. Sidebar, your mission pastor has got a spiritual gift of selfie taking. <laughs> I don't know, is he in here? Oh, there he is. And for a guy that has literally zero social media presence, it's kind of a waste of a gift. Think how good he would look on Instagram with this skill. Uh, but it is something they don't, teach, they don't teach you in Bible college, but these days you've got to be able to take a good selfie with your team. So that's inside the Buanuka uh, church right now. This is the external from it. If you look behind it, you see um, the bricks. Boy, our projector just it needs some work. Doesn't it? Um, we spent all the money on these buildings. We don't have any money for a projector. Uh, and you love our moving lights here. They move when the, when the vents turn on. The, um, behind it, they're making bricks out of the ground, straight up. Like, that's how they, like, can you imagine that in Thompson Station? You buy a house, you start digging up your yard and building bricks. Uh, but that's how they do it. Uh, but they still need a foundation, they need a roof, and there's going to be lumber involved. And so we sent uh, $12,000 to them this week, or 13000 that will begin the construction they need for that. And that little building on the side over there, the uh, wooden one, that's the school. Uh, there's three rooms in there, and they've got a preschool in there. And uh, they, you know, they would love to wait until they had bricks, but why wait when you can start now? Um, so that's what's happening. So we sent money to him, and so here's his message to us is, and this is uh, English as a second language with the King's English all combined in one. So this is some run-on sentences here. I'm going to just read the last one. We love you, Pastor Darren, and the entire Conduit Mission Church, which we don't, we don't call ourselves that, but people around the world do. It seems to stick over there. Uh, please send our regards to the people that make things happen here in Uganda. More people are getting to know God more and more, and they're living their, uh, giving their lives to Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. We are surely blessed. Thank you, Jesus Christ. That's from Pastor Moses. So when we go next year, not only will there be a well, which is already there. We made the decision early on that if we're going to have to choose a building or a well, we'll choose the well first because there's health concerns with that. But next year, there will be a building there for him that we'll get to see along with the others. And I would like to say, uh, how many were here for the Mission Summit last week? I know it was a, a hot weekend. This is a good reminder to turn off your phones. Um, we had a, uh, an amazing time outside, and I just want to tell you that uh, Joey kind of saw a little bit of it, but this past week we sent $108,000 to our uh, mission partners. Uh, this represents a couple months worth of work. It wasn't like we just, like you rained money last week. This involves, so in Haiti, of, uh, <laughs> somebody rolling deep, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but, it, but to be clear, especially if you have an experience in church work, there wasn't like some giant check in here that, to put this over the top. This was the work of a lot of people. So in the 42,000, there's 30,500 that's going to buy the land for the school in Haiti. So uh, Dennis and Joanne, uh, their daughter leads a thing called Restore Haiti that sponsors the kids. So we're actually bought this other piece of land, and now the school is going to be owned completely outright, and they'll start the construction on it. So that went down this week. It includes 7,000 for uh, rebuilding some homes that were destroyed in the hurricane. 
I believe between Restore Haiti and Conduit, that takes us almost to 50 or 52 houses that have been built. And, and not just plywood tents, like houses, like with foundations and stuff. Um, 32000 for Uganda included the money for uh, Moses that I just shared with you. It also includes 8000 to finish the, uh, the payment for um, getting uh, Lawrence's building done. And then we put 12000 in that uh, to take care of pastor's salaries, for pastor's salaries for the next year. Uh, so that's all was sent this week. And then, just for fun, uh, we have already distributed 34000 to the missionaries. So pickets in Iraq, Juilliards in Guatemala, like we distributed that this week as well. So glory to God for that, right? And if you're visiting, you're wondering, how do we how do, we do that? I actually don't know. But I will say that part of the way we do that is we trust that the Holy Spirit can lead you to give instead of me telling you what the Holy Spirit's telling you to give. So we don't have some committee that sits around in a room and tells you to give us all this big pile of money and then we will decide how it goes, uh, which is good. It gets a lot of pressure. Uh, we just say, hey, you know what? Juilliards are here. They're fighting for, on behalf of battered women in Guatemala, rescuing them. Does that, does that resonate with anybody? What would you do? And, and by the way, none of this money includes any of the money that you guys have personally given to Juilliards or whatever up front. So this is all just happened to come in. But my point is, is by letting the Holy Spirit do that, turns out you give more, not less. And it turns out that uh, it's always been the case. He's always provided earnings locally. I have eight years worth of anecdotal evidence that it works, that I'm not, when I, I say, hey, do you want to give to this? It, our, our monthly load here at the church still gets taken care of. Uh, we have nothing to fear. So anyway, I just wanted to give you an update on that. Have you, have you found Romans 12? Because if you have not, that is your fault. I have like 20 minutes to find it, so. And I didn't even say Habakkuk. Romans 12. I'm just going to read to you verses 1 uh, through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his goodness, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say that to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself in sober judgment. Basically, just believe the truth about yourself in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so we in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And uh, verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. That is, we're going to talk about this in depth as we go on, but that's a different prophecy from 1 Corinthians 12, and it's a different from Ephesians 4, and I'll tell you why in a minute. This kind of prophecy is the, it's like a visionary, the guy that's a bulldozer that's, you know what, it's Lafleur in Haiti. I saw a craggly, God-forsaken piece of land, and he saw a school. He saw a church. He saw, and so he needed people like Teresa around him and me, but he, he was the guy that when it got hard, didn't quit. That's what a prophet in this context means. If it's serving, then serve. And in our context, that we call that, the, are there children in here? That we call that the VP of getting crap done. That's what happens around here. My wife is uh, that. Uh, Bob and Carol Carlion, are you in this service? 
They're here. To, they're busy working right now. They get stuff done around here. That's that kind of a, a ministry. They're looking. They've got lists of lists of things to do. And if you're married to one, you have a list as well. <laughs> what is that? You don't have to remind me every six months. I will get it done. Um, if it is teaching, then teach. That doesn't mean you're necessarily smarter. It just means you're really curious and you've got to figure it out. Because for me, I feel like I sort of fall into this category, which means if I can make it make sense to me, it'll make sense to anybody. If it's to encourage, give encouragement. If you have ever been given a hug by Phyllis Weil in our church, you have experienced the gift of encouragement. If it's giving then give generously. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I am rolling deep in fat stacks. It has nothing to do with how much you have. It's what you give. My, uh, my wife has a dear friend named Randolph who is one of the clients at Place of Hope who's been there for years. And every time my wife goes down there to deliver her gift of getting stuff done, uh, he always brings her like a little envelope like with a $5 bill in it or some candy. Or He has the gift of giving. It has nothing to do with what he gave. But the, as far as physically, it's what he's giving spiritually from it. If it is to lead, do it diligently. Some of your translations will say administration. Uh, that term is like a business term. It's an administrator. It gets it's spreadsheets. It's, it's numbers. It's making systems and policies and procedures. It's the gift of administration. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. That is not a weakened, like someone trips and falls and you go, oh, poor baby. Mercy is, which Hollywood wouldn't do. Hollywood would laugh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, she does not have the gift of mercy. No, the... <laughs> You remember how surprised I was, Shannon, years ago when we did a little spiritual gifts test and I did not, I scored like nothing on the gift of mercy and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> a little dose of self-awareness for a 30-year-old Darren. The gift of mercy is not about weak, it's running to someone when they're in trouble, not away from them. It's a running toward the problem. Like when David Christopher runs into a burning house in, uh, which happened, in Berry Farms, that's the gift of mercy. It didn't occur to him not to go in there. He's delivering that gift to, to get it happen. So does this make sense? There are seven of these gifts. Seven in the Bible is the number of perfection. Seven is the number of completion. Seven places that Jesus bled from. Seven days in which the world was created. Seven is a, as a number that is not there by accident. And in these next few weeks, we're going to talk about the power of these seven gifts. They're the power of us to get things done. They're the power of us to know that we belong, the power to know that we matter, and they're the power to change us. So let's pray about these things. Heavenly Father, I pray that always that when we're communicating your word, that it's you that is communicating. I pray that you'll communicate in spite of me, and that your spirit will be alive and real to us. And Lord, I, uh, I just ask you, you said that your word would be a lamp and a light, and that's my prayer today, God, that it would be, that it would be that, a light for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I, uh, it's, it's, this is kind of awkward because I, 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 you guys know, you've been around so you can vouch for me. I really don't tell that many music business stories, am I right? Every once in a while I'll pull one out. But this morning, I, like, I had a bunch of these stories, and in walks, I mean, you're not supposed to do this either, but Ian Eskelin walks in, one of my first clients ever, back in uh, 1994, we were both younger, and 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> Do you guys remember a band called All Star United? Yeah. I, I spent a lot of time apologizing on Mondays. For that. I'm like, oh, wait, he set his keyboard on fire? Oh, I am so sorry. I apologize. Uh, Fortunately, these stories do not involve you. At least they won't now. I'll save those for the 11 a.m. Um, but I found myself as an artist manager, which is really a, a hilarious phrase, because an artist manager is kind of a misnomer. Uh, I'm not telling anybody what to do. If you're a drummer, your whole reason you're a drummer is you don't want anybody to tell you what to do. So I'm, I was more of an artist suggester. Uh, but one of, the, one of the privileges that I got of the many, uh, not the least of which was All-Star United, uh, to work with over my life was a band um, called Cutlass that literally had no business succeeding at all. Uh, they got signed on 9-11 um, the morning of, and I think the, they, everybody was so out of sorts that the record label guy just signed them. Um, and then realized later that, oh, these guys are like 12 years old and they suck. Um, <laughs> So imagine my surprise <laughs> when I saw them live for the first time. Like, oh, these guys are a hot mess. Now, keep in mind, this is 18 years ago now. And uh, I, had, you know, I had this privilege. And by the way, so most of you guys know this band. Like, you know like, this version of the band right here. This gentle, piano-laden, pull your car on the side of the road and cry. Right, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the band you guys are familiar with. That's not the band I spent my days with. I, I spent my days with... That's the cut was that I spent my days with. So you can see why I can't hear <laughs> and why I have so much gray hair. I only bring that up to say that I learned a lot in my years as a artist representative. I made a lot of promises that someone else had to keep. <laughs> um, but one of the things I learned was that inside of a band that these gifts that I just talked about in Romans 12, they're on display. And you'll notice I didn't say talent, but gifts. Because talent is convenient, but it's not what this, none of these on the seven, this list of seven, they are not, these are not physical talents. These are gifts that are ethereal that God has put inside of you. And so this band, Cutlass, had a lead singer named John Micah Summerall, still is the lead singer. He's, I say a kid, he's 37 now. I guess we're all getting older, aren't we, Ian? Uh, he was a jock rock guy, like straight up athlete. And in those days, it was very important to me to, if I could, to find you know, an artist or a band or somebody that had an athlete in it, Sarah Ross, because they don't quit and they don't want to lose. That's what I was thinking I was looking for. And there was reasons because in this community, there's some of you guys know a guy named Toby McKeon, but he was pretty famous because he, he worked hard if you work for Toby. And Toby, uh, you're in his band, they'll rehearse for days and days on end. But what it is is that he had this huge work ethic because in college, Toby was an athlete. Golfer, really good, didn't want to lose. So I thought that's what I was looking for. So we actually, in, in Cutlass, was this guy, John Micah, who didn't look like any of the other guys. He'd wear umbros. He'd had, like, multiple concussions. So many concussions that we had, we had what we called concussion conversations, meaning that I would actually send him an email after the conversation to say, this is what we talked about, and CC his wife. Because he'd just forget. 
But what happened, they called him Jock Rock, but they, and they, it was sort of a pejorative term, but I kind of liked it because John Micah wasn't just a lead singer, he was a leader in the band. Now, nobody sat around and voted him the leader, that's just what he did. He didn't quit, he wouldn't quit. I remember 2003, they had this, uh, their first really big gig, and it was opening for a band called Switchfoot. Now, for you kids, about 15 years ago, there was this band called Switchfoot. They're on their way. It's New Year's Eve, and they are sitting on the side of the I-5 with a blown turbo in their uh, 1985-whatever Silver Eagle bus and about a $10,000 bill and a bunch of shows waiting on the East Coast. They're 22 maybe at that time. I mean, this is an overwhelming feeling for them. But you know what happened? They made their shows. They got into two uh, vans. Now, you might think uh, this may not sound as intense as it is. They climbed into two minivans. We're talking musicians who smelled questionable, into minivans, strapped everything they could to the top of their cars, and drove 2,000 miles to get to Nashville in like a day or two, got into the van. They actually owned a van and trailer, which meant they were taking a step backwards, and got into the van and trailer and made the rest of these 15 to 20 shows happen. We referred to that tour from henceforth as the Gates of Hell Shall Not Prevail tour because that van blew a transmission, that van involved me in the middle of my little Franklin house at the middle of the night uh, calling, trying to, you know, in Christianburg, Virginia, there is a cab company, it turns out. It's a guy that I woke up at 2 a.m. who was like, well, heck, son, I don't, I mean, I got a van out back. I don't have enough to put that many people in. So he pulled up to pick up these guys on the side of the road with a blown transmission hooked up to a, a tow truck in a cargo van with a mattress in the back. Hand to God, true story. He was either a serial killer that had just hit pay dirt or <laughs> the point being they didn't quit and they didn't quit because John Micah wouldn't quit. And I know this because I represented other bands that when something, when the, like I won't say names, but one band I represented that when their van broke down, they would actually literally make a campfire on the side of the road, <laughs> cook hot dogs, whatever they had, and just hang for a while, miss whatever show was necessary because they didn't have a leader in their group that would drive them to get there. And I learned in those days, by the way, also that careers of artists are made and broken on the side of the road just as, as much as they are on the stage. Because if you can't get to the stage, you ain't getting there. But here's the thing. John Micah had that, that gift. He wouldn't quit. But when we had a problem with the promoter, I did not send John Micah in to smooth it over. Because he wasn't interested in that. Now, I sent in a guy named Jeff Gilbert who looked like Tom Cruise, which didn't hurt. Still does, by the way. I'm kind of jealous about all that. But... He was the guy that had this gift of exhortation. And what I'm getting at is in this band, there were talented people, but that's not what got them where they were going. It was their spiritual gifts, working together in tandem with each other. And if you have a skill and you have a talent, that's awesome. But that's just a highway on which your gift travels. I learned in the early days that being a, a, a communicator and a teacher are not necessarily the same thing. For those of you that sat around, Swain's last, I sat around in the early days of Conduit when I were over at the high school and I'm trying to figure out how to be a teacher. I had a gift of teaching but no skill of communication, which meant that I thought a lot of things were interesting that weren't. <laughs> That's a skill. That was big news to me. Right along with not having the gift of mercy. I'm like, oh, I thought that was really interesting. That's why they were sleeping. But I had to learn that there was a skill that I had to acquire to get to this gift. The, the point of this, in these next six weeks or so, we're going to go through each of these gifts, and I want, you to, I want to show you what they are and show you how, why it's important that you know what it is and why it's important that you know how to deploy it. 
And I'm sure in this room, every one of you, maybe, well, maybe not everyone, have taken some kind of a spiritual gifts test over the years, maybe 10 of them. Uh, Michael and, and Cindy easily uh, were here first service, but he told me that. that he said, I've taken so many of these personality tests, I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> and it's hard to blame them. Like, I get it. But the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, do not be ignorant of spiritual gifts. By the way, if you want a good Bible study for your fall, there's five things in the New Testament where Paul says, don't be ignorant of these things. Satan's devices, Israel, anyway. That's a great Bible study. Just start with that. Don't be ignorant. One of them is spiritual gifts. So what we're going to do in these next six weeks is we're going to discover what it is. Maybe, and most of you already know because you're just doing it. We spend a lot of energy taking tests trying to figure out who we are. And I just say, hey, what, when something happens that you didn't expect, like what was your first response? You know what it is. So we're going to discover, look at what it looks like to develop it, to deploy. These are not things that can be done in a vacuum. And then to deliver it, what it looks like to deliver. Because the gift was not for you. You are the UPS driver. You're the delivery agent of it. Paul says in Romans 1, uh, verse 11, 12, he says, man, I really, really want to come see you so that I might impart some gift to you and that I might receive your gift so that I could be strengthened and you could be strengthened. That's the purpose of these gifts is for us to come together to do what God has called us to do together, everybody playing the part and strengthen each other. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 11 that there might be a great harvest. That's the whole purpose. These are containers of God's grace that when we work together like a hand that can take the gospel to the city in front of us and the world around us. So that said, I want to start today with a very quick synopsis of what I'm not talking about, okay? Because there's a lot of confusion, I think, unnecessarily in the world of what spiritual gifts are and aren't because there's a list in Ephesians 4, there's a list in 1 Corinthians 12, and there's a list in Romans chapter 12, right? And so what gets confusing is when we conflate these all into one big pile of things. But what if, per se, these are three different lists that represent three different functions, and that everybody has one from Romans 12. Sometimes in, in 1 Corinthians 12, when you see that, those are operations of the Spirit that sometimes manifest themselves. And then Ephesians 4 is an office or a calling or a, a role that we play in it. These are three different lists with three different purposes. It gets less confusing. So when I look at it that way, and I see Ephesians 4, he says that Christ's Gift to the church was the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. Apostle meaning sent one. A sent one goes where nobody's inviting them. When Lafleur went to Haiti, someone invited, nobody invited him to go. He just went. When I go to Haiti, someone invited me. I ain't an apostle. Sent one, another way to put it, is missionary. Just missionary. You're a sent one. You're going in. And we could, we're not going to go into this today. Maybe we should at some point. I will say this, and I want to caveat this. Um, there are those who say that this prophet or apostle are no longer for today. If you view it as a missionary, then it is. I do want to just say this because I got everybody's attention, and hopefully I don't offend anybody, but if you've heard anything going on with what's called the NAR movement, the New Apostolic Reformation, it's this idea that an apostle or a prophet has to oversee your church for it to be a biblical church. And I only say it because it's happening even in our own community. Reject that. It's not biblical and it's ruining people's lives, so... You get that for free. I don't charge any extra. 
the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Those are callings. There are five of them, and they are to edify the body of Christ until we come into the full unity of the faith, as Benny says so often. 1 Corinthians 12, by the way, that comes from Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the Holy Spirit there and these nine things. And, and if you notice something, by the way, a pattern forming, one is with the Father, one is with the Son, and one is with the Holy Spirit. It just it fills out so nicely. In Romans 12, it says God gave these gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it says the Holy Spirit is giving these gifts. So it serves the function of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Now, here's what I would say. Everybody, literally everybody in this room has one of these Romans 12 gifts. Everybody. And some of you at some point might have, unless you're John MacArthur, others of you might have a, a spirit move on you. There's those who believe that he stopped moving. Smart people believe that. I don't. You go to India, it's hard to be a cessationist, isn't it? <laughs> and then, uh, well, we'll, we'll go to that next week. It's the 931 where I'm getting punchy, isn't it? Here's what I want to say to you. These seven are so important and they're so powerful and they're so common and they're so normal that if you don't know how powerful they are, you'll overlook it and you will walk away from it. Every one of these seven, they give us the power to matter, the power to belong, and the power to change. You see, we talked last week in our, uh, our mission summit, Jeff Schulte shared about the, the need for all of us to have to belong and to matter. That from the earliest stages of life as a baby, before you knew, and you were literally just to belong to your mother. We got to witness that this week with Audrey giving birth to her baby daughter. And that baby comes out and the first thing that mom, she wants is her mama because she wants to know that she belongs and that she matters. It's literally written, eternity written on your heart. And what does it tell us here? That we do belong. He says we belong to him and we belong to each other. That's what it says right there in verse five, six, seven, eight. I'm way ahead. I'm scrolling down here. Verse four, whereas each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, though many, form one body. And listen to this, and each member belongs to all the others. The need that we have to belong is met with these seven spiritual gifts. Because what it says to me is that I have an identity that God has given me. In fact, later he's actually going to use language. Paul's going to use it at the church at Corinth. Hey, the pinky doesn't say to the toe, right, that you're less valuable. The thumb doesn't say this is an ugly appendage, right, but try to eat nachos without it, right? This is an important appendage. And the thumb doesn't say to the index finger you're not important. In fact, some of the, what you experience between gifts when they're tension with each other is what's known as strength, when the opposition, this is not a tension to be avoided, right? This is to be managed together and it causes strength together. He's gonna to use that kind of language, that you belong and you belong not in some identity that you create in a vacuum, but in an identity that God created for you. Once I got okay with being a teacher, I mean, when, I first, when they first floated the idea of being, being a pastor, it was hilarious. I mean, literally hilarious. Which is why it's a little awkward that Ian's in here, because he knows how hilarious it is. But also my wife knows how hilarious it is. But in my mind, it was hilarious because every pastor that I ever talked to that was really successful were ones that could afford my bands, which meant they were pastors of megachurches. 
And they all looked very similar to each other. They all were type A. They all were the prophecy gift people, bulldozers, make it happen. Katie bar the doors, going down with the ship, take this hill. That's not who I am. And I'm actually okay with that. But I could literally scientifically, because of that confusion about what a spiritual gift was, say that I wasn't supposed to be a pastor. It was about two years into being a pastor that I realized, I mean, in honesty, maybe four years in, I actually thought that God was going to bring the real pastor along. I mean, I'm actually not kidding. Like, every time I'd meet a pastor, I'm like, well, maybe that's the guy. Maybe he's the one. Because I wasn't that guy. But what I didn't know was the only reason I'd ever met guys that were that way was if you're an ego guy, if you're a guy that's, you know, driving the, then you want, not only could you afford my bands, you would call me to pay my bands for it. So those, I, that was the only reason I was interacting with those kind of pastors. What I had never met was, you know, Dr. Michael Easley, a teaching guy who was also a pastor, so he had the call of a shepherd in Ephesians 4, but the gift of teaching from Romans 12. Do do you see what I'm saying? I was looking at it wrong, saying, well, I don't have this gift of shepherd because I'm not not what the shepherd is supposed to look like. What I was learning was that, hey, if you have the gift of mercy, you might still be called to be a pastor, but your church will look different than someone who was the gift of prophecy or the gift of giving. you, You see where I'm going with this? I also had to learn about the skill of, you know, the skill versus talent. The skill of communicating was something that I didn't have, and I had to work on that and realize that teaching is a gift, communication is the skill. So when you look around a room and say that, hey, you know, you're building homes or you're, you know, you're construction, you're electrician, that's a skill. But it's simply a highway on which your gift travels. So I had to learn that, and it taught me that I actually belong right where I'm supposed to be is right here, and that our church will look different. It'll look the way that God wants it to look. So the power to belong, the power to matter, he says that I'm giving this to each of you. And what that means is each of you, you, has anyone ever broken uh, your pinky toe? Okay, James, right? That appendage suddenly becomes extraordinarily important in walking. You walk around all day long neglecting it, you don't even know it until you break it, and then you're aware of it. Each of you, the gift, that's why he specifically, when he's talking about appendages, he's saying he's talking about hands and feet. That's where those songs come from. But it's the idea that every one of these appendages matter. You matter. Your gift matters. And of course, it gives us the power to change, which is what he says in Romans 12, that, hey, the way that you walk into this and figure out what your gift is is really quite simple. Offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing. This is your spiritual act of worship then you will know what his will is for your life, his good, perfect, pleasing will. And then he goes right into the gifts. That's what he's talking about. Your will, your pinky, your whatever, is you being defined as a a teaching, a prophesy, a a giving, a, a mercy. Those are all coming together. He's saying that's what, when you offer yourself to him, say, I'm just, whatever you have created me to be, I'm gonna be that. I'm gonna be the best that I know how to be. That it gives you the power to change. As a church, the reason I'm starting with this, the reason why I feel it's so important was when I think back to John Micah and a band, I saw what it looked like for spiritual gifts to make something happen in this world. When we looked at the front, we showed this little uh, photograph of, uh, of Pastor Moses. We sent missionaries there and money there because we met a guy named Alex Matala. And Alex Matala is a bulldozer. He's a prophecy guy. He's a vision guy. He knows not only where the next church is going to be planted, he knows where the next 10 are going to be planted. He's already got people lined up for it. He sees what can be. So 
If you're a gift of mercy person, we haven't been choosing them to lead the charge, but let me tell you what, you need a gift of mercy person to come alongside that because you think, I mean, we all know this with the Swains, like you think that Lafleur hadn't hurt some people's feelings? He's a bulldozer. He needs somebody with the gift of mercy beside him to say, ooh, you might want to back off of that one. He needed somebody with the gift of administration to say, hey, there's a lot of money flowing here right now. We've got to make sure this is all being spent responsibly. Those are all important gifts, and they all come together with it. But we started with that, just like I started with a lead singer who was an athlete. We started with a missionary who was a visionary, and it's amazing what happens from that. And then even in our own local church body, me just staying in my lane. I mean, David Shindell. I mean, I hate to project what gift someone does or doesn't have, but let me tell you what I know about David Shindell. When someone's in trouble, David runs to the problem, not away from the problem. When someone's in the hospital and sick and hurting, I mean, just full disclosure, I got to like muster up the courage. Like I'll take a deep breath right before I walk in. Like, okay, here we go. Not David Shindell. He is running into there. There's a gift that he has that I don't have. There's a gift of having someone with administration. I mean, uh, Mo administrating things and making things happen around here. And then when I finally released my beautiful wife into her gift of getting crap done. Now, keeping in mind, sometimes she didn't wait to be released. She, was just, she saw it needed to get done, and she just do it because that's what people with that gift have, the gift of service, the gift of moving. And she moved forward, and the room you sit in right now is because I finally shut up and stopped being arrogant and let my wife lead in that way. You guys remember those early days I'd hold up those $10 chairs and say, we don't want you to be comfortable in here. We want you to go to the world. <laughs> and then the chairs started cracking and falling. It looked like a nursing home in here. It smelled like one. My wife has a talent for interior design, but her gift was getting it done. These are recruiters, by the way, collaborators. Like, she doesn't do it alone either. She, if you've been around, you know that you've got jobs. Like, Bob and Carol, there's jobs getting done. My point being that our church family is getting stuff done because of the power of these seven gifts. You in your own life get stuff done. When you finally take a step back, and what does he say? Don't think more highly of yourself, but don't think more lowly of yourself. Just think soberly. You know? When you're drunk... You think a lot of stupid things. You think you can do a lot of things you can't do. The Bible says, hey, think soberly. Just be honest with yourself. This is what you can do. And when you step into that, the body of Christ is better. This church is better. Your life is better. And there's a great harvest that awaits. Because you can use these gifts, by the way, for yourself. Does anybody in here have a work car or a work phone? Those, those are getting rare now. Right? Oh, Adrian, yeah. Officer. He got him one. Okay. Um, you can drive that to Kroger. But you're hired to drive it, so you're allowed to. It's part of what you're allowed to do. It's part of your job. You can use your company phone. But that's not what the purpose was. The purpose was to do the job of the Brentwood Police Department. So if all Adrian does is run to Kroger into the pool with it, he is wasting the gift that the city of Brentwood has given him. If all you're doing is using this gift that God has given you on yourself, you can. God's not going to be mad at you. He loves you. But you're wasting it on what could be done in the kingdom of God with it. And by the end of this series. My hope would be that we can continue to release people to, so that a church could be led by leaders and administrated by administrators and taught by teachers and shepherded by shepherds and everybody being released into their gift. That's the power of the seven. 
I had a video that I didn't get to play because I, apparently I, I don't have the gift of a computer. Um, Micah Heslip, Jeremy recorded a little video of him saying his memory verse. Micah's just three years old? Four, oh man. Saying his memory verse. By the way, the reason that you saw Jeremy in here, the reason Jeremy went back and started volunteering with the kids was he saw this, he saw his son do this and say, I didn't teach him this. Someone else taught them this. You that have gone back there with the gift of mercy, with the gift of administration, with the gift of giving, and you are the ones that taught them this. You taught them a lesson, but you used your gift to deliver it. This kid's going to live forever. You understand that? Forever. He's going to have 40 teachers, 50 teachers over his lifetime. There's only ever going to be one first. And that first one is who taught him this. And he may not even remember that, but he's going to remember the lesson. And imagine what it will feel like in eternity to be able to celebrate with young Micah, who will someday be a man who will someday live forever. There is a great thrill in drilling a well, fresh water. There's a great thrill in building homes for those who are in need. And we do it unapologetically as a church. We've given away $3.5 million to do that, and we are not apologizing. But the best thrill is knowing that Micah will one day grow up and make a decision to follow Christ and will one day go out and make an impact in the kingdom because somebody was the first teacher here. And you get a chance to do that every day, to use your gift on what God has given it for you to use. Absolutely use it at the pool. But use it to be about your father's business. Stand and let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given gifts to men. And thank you for the price that you paid for them. And Lord, I'm just personally thankful that I finally got into my lane to do what I know that you've gifted me for. Thank you for guiding my steps. And for my brothers and sisters here today, I pray that those who don't know it yet will begin to move into that for themselves, for you, for the kingdom. And those that are already there, Lord, would you just empower more, grow and develop more and deliver more for that great harvest. We don't take it lightly. We're so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.